Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, May 9th, 2022. I'm Carl Ravitch, Taylor Schwink, and Sarah Abbott are carrying my baggage because there's a whole heck of a lot of it. I missed Sunday night due to COVID. Symptoms are getting much better and expect to be back for the Cardinals and the Giants game next Sunday night from St. Louis. We'll hear from Sarah Langs and Buster only in just a little bit. Buster will join us, I believe, from an airport, possibly a uh, cavernous bathroom. We'll see, and we'll talk with numbers and that game with Sarah Langs in just a minute. Speaking of numbers, let's start with the Boston Red Sox. The numbers are all pointing in the wrong direction. This was an organization that went out late in spring and signed Trevor Story to bring him aboard and increase the hopes of Red Sox Nation. It's getting real ugly. Story's getting booed, and the team keeps losing. One and two to Abreu. Here's the pitch. There's a liner into the left field corner. A fair ball. Harrison scores. Robert will be sent by Super Joe. Relay throw. Not in time. They score twice and lead 3 nothing. Red Sox currently sit at 10 and 19. They are a minus 23 and one differential. The other Sox, Chicago, came in and swept them. Quick side note, kudos to uh, Jason Benetti, Kevin Euclid, Steve Stone. They started the entire NBC Peacock thing, and it went really well with a couple of local analysts. I uh, got a chance to watch that game from, uh, from isolation, and uh, everything looked great, so it was good to hear them. The Red Sox are in a whole bunch of trouble. They got bad news on Chris Sale with a setback, medically not associated with COVID or his arm. Uh, And also James Paxton, he also suffered a setback. So a team that uh, isn't getting tremendous uh, depth and still getting good pitching uh, suffers two setbacks and also lose three games to the Chicago White Sox and now find themselves at 10 and 19. Meantime, the Atlanta Braves all of a sudden get Ronald Acuna back He's fallen on his butt, hitting balls 450 feet. They're starting to win. Charlie Morton has a really good game on Sunday, and all of a sudden the defending World Series champion feels like they're in a much better place. Drive to left by Contreras. That baby's gone. Out there in left field, Yelich just turned around to watch it. Contreras enjoyed the view, too, from home plate. Three-run homer for William Contreras. Nine to nothing Atlanta. So William Contreras was busy hitting baseballs over the wall. His brother was busy doing other things on Sunday night. We'll talk with Buster about, about that. Didn't have anything to do with hitting a baseball. It had something to do with what he was grabbing or something. In any event, the Atlanta Braves and Brian Snitker are feeling a lot better about themselves currently. Uh, given Acuna's return, Albies continues to hit the ball over the wall. And again, a really important start for a veteran, Charlie Morton, They've gotten good pitching, but Charlie Morton has not been as consistent as they would like. Charlie had a really good game yesterday, gave him five innings, and didn't give up much at all. That's really important for the Atlanta Braves moving forward. Brewers, by the way, lose a couple over the weekend. The Brewers are in really, really good shape. It's an offense that is scoring a lot of runs, something they haven't done. Yelich looks like he's sort of found his swing again. They're a plus 36 when it comes to run differential, and they begin this next week at 19 and 10. They lead the Cardinals by two and a half. We'll see the Cardinals and Giants next Sunday on Sunday Night Baseball. New York Mets lost a rare one, by the way, when Max Scherzer started. They played two yesterday. They lose the game that Scherzer starts. They end up winning 
in game two. Pete Alonzo had himself a massive, massive Mother's Day Sunday. 2-0. Yes, he does, and it's hammered deep to left field. Forget it. Way back and way gone. Into the back of the lower left field stands. Nelson came with the fastball 2-0, and Alonso absolutely crushed it. A three-run homer. He has driven in all five Met runs. It's his seventh home run of the year, and the Mets have a 5-1 lead. They ended up winning that game 6-1. The polar bear is off to an MVP start for the Mets. Uh, leading the world when it comes to runs batted in. But Showalter's got that team currently at 20-10, and 6-4 in their last 10. And again, a rare Max Scherzer game, game one that he started, and the team ended up losing. If there's any issue with Scherzer this season, it's the ability or at least what appears to be this proclivity for giving up solo home runs, not multi-run home runs, but solo home runs, and he did that in game one. Mets did win game two by five. And the biggest story, at least at least in the state of Ohio, is not the Guardians over the weekend. It's the Reds. The Cincinnati Reds, given where they are in the standings, given where they've been all year, and the idea that they have, what, five wins? The Reds have five wins, and they actually won a series over the weekend. 2-0. And Moran swings. He hammers another one. High and deep right center field. Reynolds is back at the wall. He looks up. It's gone. Colin Moran does it again against his former team. This time a two-run shot. Pirates are 11-16, and and they now have the distinction of losing a series to the Cincinnati Reds, who are 5-23. That's a 179 winning percentage. Colin Moran does it 2-8 in their last 10, but they're on a winning streak as the Reds win a series. Well... Unfortunately, or actually probably fortunately, uh, I have COVID, but I'm recovering. The unfortunate side is that it appears as if many people in this country, and certainly in the world of Major League Baseball, are dealing with COVID-like symptoms and COVID diagnoses. If you think about baseball and what we learned yesterday, you could just start with Sunday night. All of a sudden, Marcus Stroman gets scratched, and while the Chicago Cubs didn't give a reason, it was assumed or presumed by many that it was COVID-related. So Marcus Stroman didn't start for the Chicago Cubs last night. The Philadelphia Phillies acknowledged they put Zach Wheeler and Zach Eflin on the COVID IL, two of their important starting pitchers, Wheeler and Eflin. So Stroman, Wheeler, and Eflin, and there are others throughout the organizations that are also down with it. We saw Adam Wainwright saying he had no symptoms, but on the COVID-19 AL. So it is absolutely impacting baseball, thankfully, in a much different way than we were all affected back in 2020. The Dodgers, they beat the Cubs last night. Final score was 7-1. to one. Um, Sarah Langs is going to talk about what Walker Buehler has been able to do. This is as good a Walker Buehler as we've ever seen, and we've seen Walker Buehler be in the top five pitchers in the National League. He's becoming a different pitcher. He doesn't blow you away with 98-mile-an-hour gas anymore. He does it differently. He just does it equally efficiently. Pitch on the way to Rivas. Swung on and missed. Strike three. So Bueller comes back with a strikeout. Three strikeouts in the inning. So in his first 100 starts, Bueller's whip is historically great. Like, you got to go back to 1901. His ERA this season is near the top of Major League Baseball. 
The Los Angeles Dodgers have two aces currently, the way Kershaw has started and the way Bueller has started. And we all know what Urias is capable of, and he's been really good. The question moving forward is going to be how the Los Angeles Dodgers use him. Think about the two coasts right now. The Yankees, tremendous. Their plus-minus is right around 50. The Dodgers' plus-minus is closer to 75, and the offense was rolling again last night. 1-1 pitch on the way. Line back up the middle. Diving play made by the second baseman Madrigal. Throw over to first. Not in time. The throw was high. It lifted Rivas off the bag. And coming in to score is Will Smith. Dodgers take a 2-1 to lead here in the top of the fourth. Right. So the Dodgers pitch the heck out of the baseball. They can hit the ball over the wall. But the narrative around Los Angeles, in spite of the fact that they have scored all those runs, is that they're not clicking yet. They're not hitting the ball over the wall. What the Dodgers have added this year, perhaps, or at least are taking advantage of more than they have in years past, is their athleticism. Think back to the postseason a couple of years ago when the Dodgers won it all. One of the key aspects was the ability of Mookie Betts to take those secondary leads and then take advantage of a ball that gets away from either an infielder, a catcher, or one that's hit in the gap. We saw that exact same thing last night on a ball that got by the catcher Contreras, popped up in the air, and as soon as Mookie Betts recognized that, he raced home from third and scored a key run. Athleticism and Mookie Betts go hand in hand. And after the game last night, Betts spoke with Kevin Connors on SportsCenter. Hey, Mookie, uh, Justin Turner told our team during the game, he said, you guys haven't even gotten going yet. You're 19-7. and How do you describe the way your team is playing? Uh, you know, we've been really up and down. Um, you know, a couple guys will get hot and then the rest of us get cold. Um, but, you know, that's part of it. Um, we got a really good lineup, and when a couple guys get hot, we can kind of uh, carry ourselves through some wins. And obviously uh, it all starts with the pitching staff, and uh, they're, they're the main reason why we're 19-7 and seven for sure. Yeah, let's talk about that. That rotation and that bullpen has allowed 60 runs in 26 games, Mookie. I mean, what, what's it like playing behind them? Uh, it's great. I mean, you know, they're, they go quick, which is huge. Um, throw strikes. Don't walk people. Um, you know, they make uh, they make you beat make you beat us with a bat. You know, and uh, it's tough to do. You know, we got uh, a lot of really good arms. You know, even in the in AAA, we got really good arms. And so, uh, anytime you know you're holding teams to zero, one, two runs, um, you really give us a chance to win. I loved your honesty at the start of the season when you said you have to take ownership for sucking. Uh, What are you taking ownership of now in the midst of this nine-game hit streak where you've raised your average 75 points? Um, Just work. Um, A lot of quality work. Uh, Got, I think, uh, some of the best hitting coaches in the big leagues. Um, And so we've been uh, just grinding, just grinding away each and every day. Um, And, you know, just to show up ready to work and just trust the work and now, uh, now it's starting to work. Yeah, now, but look, work, work is part of it, and you can watch tape, and there's a million metrics you can look at. And then there's the mental aspect of the game, Mookie. You've talked about that. How has adjusting your mental state impacted the way you've played of late? I think uh, that's been the, the biggest adjustment, um, you know, just to, just to stop worrying, you know, just to go out and have fun, enjoy the game. Um, like I said, earlier you know we don't we don't really we, no, we really don't play that game for this long and so there's no point in sitting and pouting and, and not enjoying you know each each time you get to step on the field and so i really just uh focus on just having fun every game and um you know 
you never know when your last game is going to be. And so I just kind of keep that in mind and try and enjoy it. And I think uh, that's kind of rolled over into the box. All right, Ravi, before we chat with Buster in the airport, I just want to let everyone know that uh, the other two episodes this week are going to come to you on Thursday and Friday this week. So Monday, Thursday, Friday split. Uh, we are in the midst of NBA playoffs, so you got to keep checking out the low post, Swagoo and Perk. They're going to talk a lot about the NBA playoffs as well. And let's put some shine on First Take, Her Take, an incredible show with uh, Kmart, L. Duncan, and who else is on that show, Sarah? Charlie Arnold. And so, yeah, those three girls together are amazing. They talk all things sports, lifestyle, pop culture. You never know what you're going to get with them, and they keep you on your toes, and it is incredible. So be sure to listen to that on Wednesday mornings. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, your flight to Bristol has been delayed once again. But for your entertainment purposes, please listen to the Baggage Claim Monday edition of the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. The white zone is for immediate unloading and loading of <laughs> well, Buster only joins us now. This is, is this your version of the of the Ravi train? Like you, instead of it actually rolling, you're you're kind of stuck somewhere. You look, you almost look like you're in a men's room. That's right. Uh, it's a it's a Monday, which means that I'm in an airport someplace. Right at the moment, I'm in the Minneapolis airport, which is nice because I can find some space. Uh, it's empty here. You're right. It does look like I'm in a bathroom, uh, but at least you can find the space. Unlike in Atlanta or LaGuardia you know, White Plains Airport, where 
you feel embarrassed that you're shouting about baseball. Right. <laughs> I felt sorry for the fellow travelers who were like, I don't want to hear about Walker Bueller or the Cubs or what Justin Turner said on Sunday Night Baseball. No, the amazing part, you literally look like you're in a house. I mean, you look like you're in your own room. You're clearly speaking very loudly, and nobody appears to be around you to hear any of this. Thank goodness. Like, I, I, I did. I found a place. I can't see another human being where I am. I'm right at the end of Concourse C, uh, right. up an escalator, near an elevator, and, and found some privacy, which is great. All right, let's get into some baseball here. Um, unfortunately, the Cubs do play in front of one of the great fan bases in America. They will still come out to watch the games, but you were just at the Dodgers and Cubs series. Um, it doesn't feel like a lot of people are going to be enthused about watching Cubs baseball. Just describe kind of the dynamic between Dodgers, Cubs, and what you saw. Yeah, and before we, uh, I answer the question, how are you feeling? I mean, uh, I feel very good. No, thank okay. you. Symptoms, symptoms are going away. Yeah, I'm sure. Cause I've had those times. I remember I got poison Ivy a few uh, years ago that was just basically covered the whole entire lower half of my body. And I couldn't go to do the Sunday night game and you feel like, come on, man, which is right. where we were last night. Yeah. I was definitely a come on, man. I'm a come on man this morning. I, it's a weird one uh, because you can't, you know, you don't want to expose anyone else to it. That's for darn sure but you feel well enough to go out and, and do any activity you've, you've done before. So as long as things continue to trend in the right direction, I'll be back with you guys in St. Louis. Well, you were missed with all due respect to our friend, Boot Shambi, and, uh, you know, look forward to, to seeing you again. And I'm glad you're on the men. Um, look, the, you know, it's not very often, especially in Sunday night games, where typically you have two of the best teams playing against yeah. each other, where you go into a game and you feel like, a, you know, Team A has no chance to beat Team B, but that's the way it felt. Like yeah. watching the, you know, the doubleheader play out on, on Saturday with the Dodgers dominated, even without getting that many hits, going into the game on Sunday, knowing Walker Buehler was going to pitch, Marcus Stroman gets scratched, you know, COVID-related, we're assuming, um, and you just, like, look at the lineups. You know, look yeah. at these teams, and, you know, the Dodgers are a terrific team, incredibly athletic so dynamic, great offense, great pitching, et cetera. But the Cubs are really bad, Carl. Uh, yeah. And I, I must say, uh, it, it was a reminder that when the Cubs are bad, it's very different than, say, when the Red Sox are bad. Like the home crowd, uh, just, you know, they, they're, I think they understand. This team is going through a retooling, rebuilding process. They're coming out. They're filling the stands. If the Cubs have a big moment, they'll cheer. If they have a bad moment, they – kind of shrug their shoulders a little bit. I think they get what's going on. Well, I, yeah, that's a, that's a good question because it's a hard one to understand what's going on. We've, we've just won a World Series. We had three huge name players. We're not willing to pay them, and we decide maybe it's kind of a time to move on from Rizzo and Baez and Bryant. Um, but money shouldn't be a factor. We have a good manager – so, uh, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting one that people would understand what's going on. There are certain places, you know this very well, there are certain cities where that type of rebuild is, like, forbidden. Like, you can't go there. And a lot of me thinks the Cubs have kind of moved to that level. Like, okay, they're in that same conversation where bottoming out, and I know the Red Sox have finished, what, last three times a year in the last 10 years? Like, I, I get where they've been, but... It didn't feel like they were totally tearing things down 
when I saw the lineup last night, then you don't see Wisdom in it or Schwindel in it. You're like, those are now the familiar names in the Cubs lineup. And that, that in itself seems a little bit strange to me. Yeah, Carl, I think that you're right. The Cubs should be in that uh, echelon of teams that never, uh, you know, rebuild or tank or whatever you want to call it. But that's where we are. Um, yeah. And I, you know, Tom Ricketts, the only one who can really answer this, but I'll absolutely believe that that's directly related to what happened during the pandemic, 2020. Uh, they had the real estate around the ballpark, which they invested in. They weren't able to cash in. Uh, according to folks with other teams I talked to, the Cubs were uh, certainly conveying to other teams that they were very cash strapped. And so last year, they trade off all those big names that cut, they cut their payroll way down. This year, it's going to be another cutdown season. Wilson Contreras will be on another team when we get to the trade deadline. He's going to be dealt. Uh, you know, maybe Kyle Hendricks will be dealt if he can pitch better than he has early in the year. Wade Miley, who they picked up during the offseason, he's going to be dealt. The relievers who are actually doing well, like a David Robertson, those guys are going to get flipped the way that last year we saw Craig Kimbrell, uh, you know, Ryan Tapera, uh, Andrew Chafin get traded. I think it's going to be another cutdown year for the Cubs. And next year will be the year you'll start to see them take a big step forward. That's, that's disappointing. I, don't know. Think I about, agree with you, though. I don't think it should be that way, Carl. No, think about it. The Cubs' run differential is, I think, minus 20. They scored 21 runs in one game. So wow. you're minus 20 with a 21-run game. The Dodgers on the other side, they're a plus 74, and they're blowing everybody else up. The Yankees are second, and they're 25 runs behind where the Dodgers are, you know, you talked a lot Sunday night about Seiya Suzuki. And it's like, literally, we're going to just spotlight. This is the one positive on this team. Great guy, big story, wears 27 for Trout, Saki, and all that stuff that was shared with the executives. How, you know, he, he had to be sold on the weather and Chicago and the climate. How do you now bring him in and say, remember Kyle Hendricks? You remember Wilson Contreras? Remember we kind of promised – this great city, this atmosphere, and, and we won a World Series a few years ago. It's now your team. Like, it's your team. How do you explain – how do you think that conversation goes? Yeah, in a year or two, it'd be interesting to ask him about that because he's still in the honeymoon phase. And the story you're talking about, it was very funny to hear David Ross relate that to us in the, uh, at a pregame meeting where he said that when they were recruiting Suzuki, that was the big question they got back. Like, tell me about the weather because I don't want to play in the cold. And so Jed Hoyer generated all these charts on the weather and compared it to Hiroshima, where Suzuki had been playing. In other words, look, it's not that bad. It's the same as you have there. And the weather, as you know, in the Northeast, Upper Midwest, this spring has been awful. And so Suzuki, who is just early in, in trying to learn English, uh, a couple weeks into the season, stopped by Ross's office, ducked his head in the door and looked at Rossi and said, those charts you gave me, this was in English, those are... BS, except with the first sign of English. And that's what David Ross said. Oh, that was Jed Hoyer's doing. So right. they're getting a laugh out of that now. But you're right. Uh, I'm sure that Suzuki's watching this play out and wondering, hey, what happened to this team around me? Um, they do believe that he's going to be at the, uh, the centerpiece of the team as we move forward. He got off to a great start. It's clear the league is making adjustments to him. Last night, Walker Bueller didn't even throw him strikes. He's like, I'm yeah. going to spin the ball out of the zone off the plate, and you're going to chase it. And he did. Uh, top of the zone, off the edge of the zone. And so now the question is, Suzuki, will he make the adjustment? Uh, you know, by all accounts, 
you know, Mike Trout chimed in last night at, uh, in, a, in a text message that he'd been talking to Shohei Otani. Otani was talking about a great hitter is he'll figure it out. But, Carl, they're going to need a lot of help around him. I was going to say. I mean, the, the other comparison when he talks about wearing 27, Mike Trout now has Otani and Rendon and Ward around him. And the Angels, the Angels are playing great. You know, a lot of the conversation buster so far this year has been about the two teams in New York. It, it may be time to kind of refocus on the West Coast and the two teams in Los Angeles. I mean, the Angels are terrific, and we'll, we'll talk about them perhaps at another time. But the Dodgers, uh, we all expected them to be this good. Bueller is on an historic start to not only the season, but, but his career. Mookie Betts, again, seems to have figured it out. And whether it's a mental skills coach or whatever, he's hitting the ball. You know that Turner's going to hit. It's Trey Turner who's hitting. Like, you can just feel that the Dodgers are, are potentially just going to run away with the National League. Forget the National League West. As good as that is, with all teams being over 500, um, you know, when you saw them and you spoke to them, are the Dodgers themselves more impressed with their pitching or their offense? Oh, boy. Um, I, I think right now the pitching. I mean, their pitching is performing at a historic level. I tweeted this yeah. out yesterday that their ERA, their team ERA, uh, is more than three times lower than that at the Cincinnati Reds. You know, they are having the best start for any pitching staff since 1969. Um, and, and this is at a time when Dave Roberts has acknowledged to us last night is, is holding back with some of his guys. He's limiting the innings of Clayton Kershaw, as we saw with that perfect game. He's using Walker Bueller once a week. It's like Walker Bueller is going back to when he was pitching in college. You know, he pitched yeah. last Sunday, he pitches uh, this Sunday. They built a great bullpen. But I think what jumped out at me and this time seeing the Dodgers call the most was the athleticism. And I thought Eduardo did a great job of highlighting that when you see Cody Bellinger, even though he's not hitting great, you know, there's a little chopper in the infield. He's busting it down the line. Uh, the other uh, Dodgers were saying the thing they've learned about Freddie Freeman since he joined the team that they didn't know is what a great base runner he is. Yeah. You know, Chris Taylor busts it, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts. Just unbelievable athletes up and down that lineup. And you know and I know that when we get to the trade deadline, whoever the best player is available, Andrew Freeman is going to be right in there looking to pick up that guy. It's really cool. The, the teams that are going to be currently right in there to pick up that guy are the two teams in New York, the two teams in Los Angeles. So that, that part of it is really cool. And the entire NOS may be invested in that conversation too. Um, there's a part of me that just wants to hear a toilet flush, just kind of given your environment right there. And then I'd feel more comfortable. That whole bathroom <laughs> look is great. I just need to hear a toilet flush because we're going to move to the, to the other side here. Forget the great teams, the ones that, that should be flush. You and I touched on this last week on the podcast. Um, you know, you, you mentioned how good the Dodgers are and the Yankees and the Padres and the Brewers are off to a great start and the Angels are off to a great start. Um, I'm curious – is this like if you if you were to forget the airport? Let's get on a highway. If, if you were to get on a three lane highway, you got your fast lane, you got your center safe lane, and you got your slow lane. It feels like the fast lane has got a bunch of really good cars in it. The slow lane has got a bunch of duds, and the middle lane's kind of wide open. Are we really looking at a have and have not in Major League Baseball this year more than we have in the past? Yeah, I, I believe that we we do. Uh, I looked it up this morning. There are there are nine teams with winning percentages that would take them to a hundred or more wins. Nine out of thirty teams. You know, think about that. It feels like in uh, 
you know, 25 years ago, if a team won 100 games in a season, that was special. Nine yeah. teams on a pace to win 100 games. Um, it, it shouldn't feel, to me, Major League Baseball should not feel like Alabama playing some one double right. team. Right. And that's what this series between the Cubs and the Dodgers felt like. Um, I don't know how that's going to change. I feel like now that, you know, the, the, the place that everyone's trying to avoid is that middle lane that you're talking about. They either want to be in the fast lane or they want to be right. in the slow lane, right. cutting down their payroll, the Orioles, the Pirates, uh, you know, the Cubs, et cetera, or they want to be a team that's trying to go for it. And I, it's not a good dynamic. You know, when we are sitting there on Saturday, like I was, I don't know if you feel this way too, because you you were there on opening night, and David Bell, the manager of the Reds, it's a season opener, and you know how much he cares about baseball, and his team is going weeks between wins. You're just like, boy, I, I hope the Reds at least get one game in that doubleheader against the Pirates. Thank God they're up to five wins now or whatever it is. Well, the, the you know, the best thing for the Chicago Cubs – are the Cincinnati Reds because as bad as it is right now for the Cubs, the Reds are sitting there. I mean, nine and eighteen as we begin this week versus five and twenty-three. We're yeah. five and twenty-three. Imagine that scene in the movie, Bull Durham. How do we even win five? I mean, that's that's where they're at, and that's that's really discouraging. The other aspect of fast lane, slow lane is middle lane, and when, when you're in the middle lane, or you believe you should be in the fast lane and you skip the middle lane, you end up in the slow lane, that strikes me as where the, where the Red Sox are. Um, think about what Boston has, has shown. They laid ad Trevor Story at the end of spring training, and all of a sudden there's this sort of feeling of, wait a sec, we are really in this. And then you're reminded that sales going to be out. Now all of a sudden James Paxton elbow barks, and sales got a setback, and, and everything that can go wrong, is going wrong. The bullpen has been a disaster. They're an undisciplined approach at the plate, which they've never been under Alex Cora. Um, you know, if we want to go to another analogy, it, it feels like there's some rumblings in an earthquake and at some point or a volcano, and it's just going to explode. Boston finds themselves real close to the uh, bottom of baseball, let alone their own division. What do you make of what's happening up in the uh, Commonwealth? Yeah. Look, Wrigley Field, we talked about it uh, before. You know, the Cubs are bad, and so Cubs fans are sort of golf clapping their way through the season. Okay, we're okay. Wrigley Field's a beautiful park, and we're, we're fine with that. Uh, in Fenway Park, the other day, when they lost the game to the White Sox, and I think this was in the 10th inning when they had the, you know, the yeah, most runner yeah. set base, and, and Carl, it absolutely jumped out at me. There was a line drive. Maybe it was off Matt Barnes. A line drive head out to right center field, and before the ball checked down, the fans in the in Fenway knew that not only was the ball was going to land, but the go-ahead run was going to be scored by the White Sox. They, they began to boo before the ball landed. I can't yeah. remember that. I have seen, and you have seen, uh, a, a big money player, free agent, uh, you know, target in the offseason, go into a big market and be under this sort of scrutiny that Trevor Story is. What a difficult place to be. Less than mm-hmm. six weeks from the start of his Red Sox career where the booing of story now has become a thing, right? I mean, you, do you agree with me that now oh, uh, it's yeah. almost becoming sport? Well, the game you're talking about, the Red Sox had an opportunity in the ninth inning. I think they had two men on and could not, right. get, a run, could not get a run across. Then you get to the 10th inning, and it's well, the, it, to the point of Red Sox fan, they're going to score, they do score, and it's over. It, I guess the other part that's interesting to me 
You know, Alex Cora has told us many times before about the 10th inning ghost runner. We're going to get one. The question is, do we only get one or do we get more than one? That whole bravado, that whole feeling of, well, they can score one because we're going to get one, if not two or three, when we come to the plate. That whole thing is gone. I mean, literally, the, the, the level of confidence that, that he would exude or that the team would take from him early in the season is wiped out. I mean, you, you know, you, you're, you're, you're slumdogging it there. You're walking out in the field, and your shoulders are slumped, and your head is down. That, that's what that team feels like, and that's not who it's been when he's been in charge. So I brought up this potential triage, and I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, on the podcast the other day, I, you know, I've heard rumblings within the organization that they're beginning to recognize how crucial it is for them to revisit the Xander Bogarts uh, signing. You know, they gave that one-year extension offer, $30 million, which was embarrassing. You know, in the the offer that they had on the table for him was $60 million less than what they just gave Trevor Story uh, or $50 million less, $50 million less than what Javier Baez got. And I, I, even though Xander Bogarts is a great pro and you know it's not going to affect the way he shows up and walks through the door every day, I do think that's cancerous. When you have a guy, you know, who's so important in that clubhouse and that franchise, now potentially following Mookie Betts out the door, the team is doing terribly. Uh, and I mentioned my idea was I think the Red Sox – John Henry, Tom Warner, Sam Kennedy need to invite Sander to lunch and say, look, you know what? We blew it, and we need to restart these conversations because I feel like that's the first domino in what we're seeing right now, Carl, this team that just looks down, dispirited, not playing well, and you wonder if they're disconnected. Starting with that, I, I, as I say, I just know how those things can play out in clubhouse. Do you buy that or no? Oh, I buy it. I think the, the biggest challenge is going to be the acknowledgement, using your premise, the acknowledgement that we blew this, which means you know, if you're going to put Henry and Werner and Bloom and even Cora in that room, one of them is responsible for that decision. And I don't know that you're ever going to get one of them to say, that was on me, or they're going to fake it and say, we collectively screwed this up because it's, that's just not the case. You know clubhouses. P- people know. People understand where that came from. Uh, that's a real hard one to swallow. I, the concept of it is, is noble. I understand it. Um, there's got to be an acknowledgement that we, A, we love Bogarts. We are okay with his age. We want him to stay here for another five or six years. I, I'm not certain that if you were really to cut them open and get to the truth serum that they would all believe that. Um, but I understand, I understand your point. It seems pretty simple. Sign Bogarts, sign Devers, get some pitching, act like you're a big market team, and go from there and compete. That seems to be what other teams in your division are doing. If you don't sign Bogarts, what do we really believe the chances are that they're going to sign Raphael Devers? Okay? Right. And Devers go into next year in free agency. What's the impact on your fan base? Because it's not Cubs fans in Wrigley Field, Right. They're not going to just golf clap their way through a season. Their unhappiness is going to manifest with empty seats, lower ratings on Nesson. Uh, and look, if you're the, you know, you're the Yankees, you're paying uh, big money to Garrett Cole and to, to Giancarlo Stanton this year, Aaron Judge. You're the Dodgers. You know, you're paying Mookie Betts. If you're the Red Sox and your highest paid guy at the end of this year is Trevor Story, that's kind of a joke. Like, yeah. and I, I don't think the fan base will, be, will, will accept that. 
Right. But I, I think quickly, and I know you got to go. So the quickly, the, the point there is, let's just to say that your plan doesn't play out. And all of a sudden, Bogarts leaves and Carlos Correa shows up or Trey Turner shows up. But one doesn't necessarily lead to the other. I understand the connection you're making, yeah. but they may have a plan in the back pocket. And, and just quickly, last night, there was a, there was a, kind of a humorous uh, play in the game last night when a ball came off of uh, Wilson Contreras. It bounced behind Max Muncy. And in an effort to go pick the ball up because a base runner was on base, Contreras grabbed at Muncy as if he was falling down the stairs and needed some railing for stability. <laughs> the problem was what he grabbed or where he grabbed, wasn't it? Yeah, so we go to commercial break after that, and, and Justin Turner had been wearing the microphone for us. And you know Justin Turner, incredibly nice and incredibly direct. And so Boog Shambi, uh, you know, who was uh, holding your seat uh, warm last night uh, as play-by-play man, we go to commercial, and he's asking in the booth, like, I don't know, should I ask Justin about that? Because Justin's going to be direct. And I thought of you when Eduardo Perez, I can hear him go, I'll ask him. No problem. <laughs> which is which is Eduardo's personality. And so we come back, and and I think Eduardo's question to Turner was, "How's Max doing?" or something <laughs> along those lines. And you knew Justin would go where he went to because uh, you know within 15 minutes, I think the word junk was trending. Uh, <laughs> it was classic. And look, at the end of the year, we're going to be able to put together a top 10 list, a top 20 list of these uh, great mic'd up moments. That was one that certainly got a, a lot of attention last oh, night. Oh, I'm sure just it did. description of Max Muncie, who, by the way, we found out last night, despite the fact that you placed our base, he doesn't wear a protective cup. That's insane. There you go. Yes. Then, then junk was absolutely an appropriate word. It, and it feels like, given the environment you're in, you got to get out of there. There's going to be some junk at some point, Foster. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it, Carl. Great talk with you. Thanks for doing this this morning. Anytime. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. My buddy Sarah Langs joins us now on the Baseball Tonight podcast. And uh, full disclosure, Sarah's one of my favorite people on the planet. We've been working together forever. Um, 
You know, I noticed last night, Sarah, you were you were a little, you know, you're always giddy about baseball, but last night you were even more so because the Sunday night game was back in Chicago. I know people know a lot about you. They may not know about your connection to Chicago. Why don't you share why that meant so much to you last night? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Very glad to be here. But I went to school in Chicago. I went to college there. And I miss games at Wrigley. I miss games at the Cell, now guaranteed rate. And there were some great shots by our Sunday baseball right. crew of the skyline, of some sunsets and everything. And I was just sitting there thinking, wow, I miss Chicago right now. <laughs> so when you went there, like you grew up, you weren't a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan. I know you were a fan of baseball. But when you went to school there, did you immediately embrace both the teams, one of those teams? Like, how'd that whole thing work? Really, both of the teams. You know, my school was closer to uh, the South Side. So I was closer to U.S. Cellular. But I think I went to an equal amount of games. You know, I was in school just before the Cubs sort of dynasty where they won the World Series and everything else. So I sort of got to see the fledgling parts of that team. Anthony Rizzo was there. Javier Baez was there. Chris Bryant debuted. So I got to see the beginnings there, which was really exciting. The White Sox were not as great at the time. But I got to see Chris Sale a ton. I feel like he pitched practically every White Sox game I went to. Jose Abreu was there. And so I got to see a lot of really fun players for both teams. That's really good. Now the Cubs, unfortunately, have come full circle. They, they stink again. That's unfortunate for them. And the Cubs, the White Sox are, are really good. All right, so one of my favorite segments is I, I don't really, you know, get on the gravity train and do the podcast with Buster. I then listen to it. And one of them is is this numbers game. Now, as you know, I missed the game because I had tested positive for COVID, but I don't have any of the symptoms. The challenge that that many COVID patients have to deal with is this sort of brain fog thing. So you start throwing numbers out. I'm going to try to stay with you, but this will be a really good test to see if the symptoms are continuing to move in the right direction and disappear totally. So hit, hit me with some of the Sarah Lang's numbers game. Number three. Number three is 0.99. So that's Walker Bueller's career whip in his starts of his career. He made his 100th career start last night on Sunday Baseball, where we missed you dearly and are hoping you're feeling much better. But a 0.99 whip in his first 100 career starts is the lowest on record since at least 1901. He's ahead of names like Addy Joss, Ed Walsh and Walter Johns. I mean, that is historic, historic. He also has the fourth lowest ERA of any pitcher in his first hundred starts since two debuted since the mound was lowered in 1969, behind only Dwight Gooden, Ron Guidry, and Vita Blue. I mean, we know he's good. I know Dodgers Twitter calls him butane, which I love. But I don't know if we really acknowledge just how outstanding he is. But I think this is the season where we really, really see that. All right. So before we get to number two, it is interesting because I think, Sarah, if you were to think, forget 1901, uh, because neither one of us were around. I mean, we we just weren't. But if you forget way back then and you even go to to Pedro Martinez, uh, you know, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, and it's like, you didn't bring up Sandy Koufax. Like, you're, you're absolutely right. Nobody 
I shouldn't say nobody. I certainly never would have thought like lowest whip since 1901 first hundred starts Walker Bueller. Why do you think that is? Why, why don't we do that? It's incredible. I mean, when I looked up this stat, usually I'm very confident. I look up a stat and I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is good. We put that out there. I stared at this and reran it three times. And said because it can't I was sense. so surprised. I mean, yeah. again, it doesn't seem like I was thinking Pedro, Koufax, Kershaw, Dwight Gooden, you know, guys right, who we right. know were really good, but I don't think we've really seen a pitcher who was this good from the start. You know, Clayton Kershaw, you mentioned before, really good, but you know, his first few starts of his career, maybe not outstanding. Walker Bueller has been the guy since he debuted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's amazing too. And I think you guys touched on it last night. Um, the Vanderbilt and the college game and just the idea that these guys are coming out and there's such a, a level of polish on them that, yes, you can actually have success in your first 100. You don't need the first 30 to kind of establish yourself. If you're this good, you, you will have already established yourself, and, and Bueller seems to be the guy that's done that. All right, what's next? Number two. Number two is six. So Wilmer Flores had this really funny game on Saturday. It was Buster Posey Day in San Francisco. He had a first inning Grand Slam. Buster Posey, of course, hit one of the more famous Grand Slams in Giants history in 2012 in the postseason in Cincinnati. So Wilmer Flores ends up coming to the plate three times with bases loaded. He has a Grand Slam a sacrifice fly, and a bases load walk. That's six RBIs. He only had one hit. So I'm sitting there after the game wondering, that's got to be notable. How, how many guys get six RBIs on only one hit? So it turns out it was just the seventh time that that's happened. Six RBIs is the most anyone has had on one hit. Last time it happened was August 9th of 1994, by Cecil Fielder. And then the other guys to do that, Bill Madlock, Rico Petroselli, Eddie Brassoud, Monty Irvin, another giant, and <laughs> Alice Kinder. I mean, I just thought this was the craziest list, and here's Wilmer Flores doing something that we hadn't seen in almost 30 years. Right. Now, he, he's pretty, pretty well known for getting four RBIs on one swing. This is not his first Grand Slam. I mean, he's done, he's done that act before, right, a lot. Yeah, it was his fifth career Grand yeah, Slam. Right. And he was a guy who on the Mets was known for some heroics, walk-off Wilmer. He leads the Mets all time in uh, walk-off RBIs. But I just thought this was the craziest thing. One hit and six RBIs. Right. I just quickly put us inside that, that dangerous little baseball head of yours. At, at what point do you say to yourself, I mean, seriously, at what point do you say, one hit, six RBIs. I need to look that up. Like, how soon does that happen? Well, the first thing I looked at was him coming to the plate three times the base is loaded. Right. Because we know the Giants offense overall has not been that prolific. Right. Maybe last year a bit, but overall not so much in the last decade. So the last guy to come to the plate three times the base is loaded for the Giants in a game was, I want to say, five or six years ago. It was Eduardo Nunez, of all people, 
on the trade deadline day. I want to say it was 2014. But then after the game, I was looking at the box score and I just see that one in six and I had to, I had to look (laughs) it up. So it wasn't immediate. It wasn't right when he got the six RBI, but it was more after he didn't get another hit. Okay. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. That's interesting. That is good. You know, for the Giants, too, they get Yaz back, and he yep. hit one into the water yesterday, which is really good. So and we have the Giants, as you know, next week against the Cardinals on Sunday Night Baseball. It would be good to see the real Giants because they are a real test with 107 wins last year. All right, what's number three? Number one. Number one is 18. So you were really excited on Saturday for 18 baseball games. Mother Nature intervened, but we ended up getting 18 on Sunday. Sundays are always fun because because of Sunday baseball, everything starts before 7. So all of these games are going on practically simultaneously, more so than any other day of the week. So we had 18 baseball games last night. They all started basically by 4 p.m. or earlier Eastern time. That was the most games to be played on a single day in baseball since September 30th of 2015, which also had 18. And if you think of September, that's a lot of rainouts, push to the end of the year, all that kind of stuff, which I think might have happened with some of Saturday and Friday's game. Yeah. If not for the fact that we're playing a kind of condensed schedule this year, making up for that first week that was lost. But it was so much fun. I mean, at one point, I want to say around <laughs> three or four o'clock, I was just staring at my screen saying, oh, my gosh, there's so much baseball going on right now. So I hope for you sitting at home, you got to enjoy that, watching all of those games. And I know I did. Yeah, I have never been this close with my iPad as I am now. I mean, I, I have found that the MLB.com website and the ability to see all the games is an absolutely amazing thing. You, you clearly are not telling the truth when you said, when I looked at my screen, I know you. You have multiple screens. I mean, at one, how many, 18 games, how many are playing concurrently and how many screens? What's the maximum number of screens Langs has to watch games? Well, for a day like that, there's the screen, there's the TV, there's the iPad, there's the phone coming into into help, and then I have my personal computer and my work computer. So there's a, there's a lot. You got seven like games that. going on. So that <laughs> remember the the greatest the greatest final day of any regular season, of course, was the Red Sox and the Rays and Steve Berthume and all the other games going on. Bobby Valentine was working with us at that time. And I can just imagine this sort of scene playing out yesterday for people like you and me. He, he got onto one of those chairs inside the green room. And we have, a, obviously, at ESPN, you have all the TVs. He gets on one of those chairs, and it's not a stable chair. It's one that, that can spin. He just starts spinning himself around because he can't keep up with all the excitement and all the action that's going on. That, that, was, oh how, that was how special that day was. And, yeah, and it's, it's kind of like a weird bummer today. You'd think with all the rain outs, rain delays we've had, we'd have 18 more games today. I think the schedule today only has like 11 games. Like it's, a, it's a little bit of a bummer. But there are games that start as early as noon and go, of course, late. Sarah, thanks very much, buddy. Really good to see you again. Thanks so much for having me. So much fun. Bleacher Tweets.
All right, everyone. It's a Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. And uh, we've got a couple questions here from listeners. But first, I want to ask Carl Ravage a couple things, because I think a lot of our listeners, they know you as the voice of Sunday Night Baseball, but you are on the road in SEC country during the winter calling college basketball games. Uh, I'm sure you you love that. But we talk a lot about like the best stadiums and baseball where people like to go. Where does Carl Ravage like to call a game in SEC country? Uh, basketball games? Wow, that that's a that's a good question because there are there are so many and in fact growing number of great facilities. So we're at Rupp Arena a lot, mm-hmm. and Rupp Arena has a really really great crowd, intense crowd, uh, smart crowd. Uh, but I, I liken going to Rupp Arena like you're going to an NBA game because so many of the kids end up in the NBA, and the level of sophistication of the people that are there are to recognize just great basketball. Um, this past season, Alabama, and certainly what Nate Oates has done there, it's become a, a crazy place to go watch a basketball game. Tennessee is a great place to go watch a basketball game. Arkansas is nuts. I mean, they, they, love, they love their sports teams. They love their college basketball. The, the Sunday night game allows you, and as, as Buster pointed out, generally two really good teams – Super Tuesday almost assures you of two really good teams, which means great environments. There isn't one in the SEC, but the ones I mentioned are all unbelievable. And I'm sure uh, I'm currently missing one or two, but uh, Alabama and Arkansas became really, really good. Tennessee and Kentucky are always really, really good. Um, and, and they do. They, they go up and down with the teams. If the team is great, it doesn't matter where you are. You, you, you could be in Missouri. They'll, they'll fill the place. It, it would be a great environment. Auburn is bananas. I mean, that's another one I, I almost forgot about. Uh, Auburn and what Bruce Pearl has done down there at the zoo, ridiculous. I mean, that, that's as good as any. And it, there's, really, there's no place in the SEC when the team is good that you don't want to go. Love it. And Carl, when I'm watching you on TV, I always notice, I mean, you're just a handsome guy. And you sometimes I see, I see you flexing a little bit. I see those biceps pop. And can you pull back the curtain and let the people know a little bit about your workout routine? Because I personally am curious. I know we're, we're getting yeah. deep here. Yeah, you're getting real deep. I will say <laughs> this. I've been, and people who know me know, know of this. Um, so in 19, I got to ESPN in 93. In 1998, I had a heart attack. Um, and after the heart attack in 1998, when I was 33 years old, I, I had to change things. I started to run a lot. I went to the gym a lot. I lifted weights. I do push-ups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's 1998. Here we are in 2022. None of that's changed. Um, you know, that was, you talk about a wake-up call. And thankfully, vaccines and COVID, the wake-up call is a little bit different than it would have been in 2020. Um, but the heart attack changed everything for me, eating, et cetera. So yeah, I, uh, I don't miss a day of some form of exercise and generally it involves sweating, elliptical, uh, running, biking, whatever it might be. And all those, those other simple things, um, pushups, pull-ups, et cetera, et cetera. So th- that's really it. The diet is, is one thing. The exercise routine is another, but it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's become an obsession. It's a, it's a religion. If I miss it, I feel like, I feel like crap. So those, that, that's really where, where the root of it comes from. 1998. Wow. 
Thank you for uh, for sharing that backstory. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, let's go to these tweets here. Adam Wolf at Adam Wolf Horn writes in Padres are getting the job done, having won or split seven of their last nine series without Tati Snell, Pomerantz, very little from Clev, Myers, and Voigt. Do you think they're for real? And who could they add? Well, you know, the, the great part about the Padres, and I know Buster touched on it, that the Dodgers will be in on anybody that's free at the trade deadline that they needed. Uh, so will the Yankees, uh, you know, but, sorry, but the Budinsky and all this will be the Padres. They will butt in on all of these potential players. So, you know, their, their front office has shown the ability to trade, their ability to make moves. They won't be afraid to do that. We had the Padres to open up the season. The, the biggest acquisition I think the Padres made was Bob Melvin. Um, there's a little bit of Alex Cora going on here and what he did when he showed up with the Red Sox. Melvin changes things. There's a calmness about him. There's an experience about him. There's a, uh, I've taken teams to the postseason, some that I that probably overachieved. So he's huge. They're so deep if they ever get healthy on the pitching end. I don't know that they're going to need to go out and make a move. Getting Clevenger back is, is a big step for them. I think most people remember, and this was a, an Indians team, not a Guardians team yet, that he pitched on in Cleveland, and at the end, he was lights out. Manny Machado's having an MVP season, and they're going to get Tatis back. And when that happens, you're you're adding, arguably, a top three player in baseball to a top team in baseball. So, yeah, they're, they're very legitimate. Melvin changes everything. They've been playing terrific, and when they get Tatis back, they're going to be even better. The, their biggest challenge is the Dodgers, but you don't need to win your division anymore. In fact, you don't even need to finish second in your division. If your record is that good, you're going to get into the playoffs. Bob Mikowski at Bob Mikowski one writes in the Reds are an indefensible disaster. However, do you think <laughs> management deserves at least a little credit for realistically evaluating their team? They'd be better with Winker, Gray, et cetera, but this would still be a bad team. I think it's a good point by Bob. To some extent, um, mm-hmm. I guess the, you know, the question would be how the hell do we ever get in this position in the first place? Who's responsible for that? And, then you have to go right back to the same group you're trying to give credit to. Um, it, it's a very difficult one to have a team that, that has these peaks and valleys, and much of it, if not all of it, is rooted in financial uh, wherewithal. The Reds will never be the Dodgers, Angels, Yankees, Mets, uh, and, and part of the price you pay for that is sort of an inconsistency. By the same token, I can hear people in my right earpiece saying, well, what about the Rays? They don't have a lot of money, and they're seemingly always competitive. So uh, the Rays are the bane of most of the mid-market teams because they tend to succeed, and you wonder why we can't do what they're doing. And that's why, while you say it might be you know, kind of a good point, I, I would probably I, I would beg to differ. Um, something put us in this position that we need to do this and that part's frustrating. How do we avoid getting into the position to have to make those decisions? Last question for the day at Golf Life Rag writes in, will Buster ever admit how much he hates the White Sox? ESPN won't even put them on Sunday Night Baseball against their beloved Yankees. Uh, Carl, do you think Buster hates the White Sox? Do you think ESPN hates the White Sox? Which team does ESPN hate in your experience? Um, you know, as these fans, I'm sure they just attack you all the time, screaming bias. Oh, I, yeah. Well, you mentioned the SEC. I mean, I, the best part of my job is when you're doing a college World Series or you're doing a major league game, you're doing a college basketball game, and uh, 
Kentucky is playing LSU and you get tweets from the people who say, get off LSU. You suck. You, you hate Kentucky. Just leave LSU. You, you keep celebrating LSU. And at the same minute you're checking Twitter after the game, there are the Kentucky people saying, you know, you love LSU too much or you hate us. So when you split it down the middle, it to me means that you're so not hating anybody. Like the weirdest concept I've ever heard Taylor is that we go into games with, with an agenda. Like we have some team that we root for. And I've seen a number of people in our field say we root for the story. We root for a good game. The reason that most play by play people get fired up when the game is close towards the end, or there's a walk off home run. It's not because we're celebrating the team that hit the walk off home run or that made the three point shot at the buzzer. It's because a team hit a walk off homer. A team hit a shot at the buzzer. It wasn't like Sunday night's game, which was a blowout. Like you, there's no energy, there's no excitement. So uh, I can't speak for Buster. I I think if we cut Buster open, you know, we'd find a lot of lines like you do on a tree. And he's just an old soul who doesn't hate anybody. I I don't think Buster hates anybody. Hard for me to think ESPN hates anybody, especially teams. You're going to put people in the seats and have them watch games. And I can assure you. There's not a team out there, not a team that I hate. None. I'm a lover. <laughs> You've certainly <laughs> proved that out on the show today. Thank you so much for filling in, Ravi. Taylor, Sarah, it's been my pleasure, and that will do it for the Baseball Tonight podcast. My thanks to Buster and Sarah Langs, who joined me, Sarah Abbott and Taylor Twink, who have carried me all day. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks very much for listening. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.